Keys hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. But, the, but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. Come. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, our late night show. Are you kidding me? Ladies and gentlemen of Jacksonville, Florida, let me ask you a question. Where would you rather be right now from 10 o'clock to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly on Hacker After Dark? And we do appreciate you staying up late with us each and every Tuesday on the eve of, well, I guess it is National Signing Day. It's the early signing day, the December signing period. We'll talk Florida. We'll talk Florida State, what to expect tomorrow. Certainly there are some things that could happen, some surprises that could happen. We'll obviously get more in on the Jaguars and the Buccaneers. One of the biggest games in the NFL this week, two teams in first place in their division by a thread, right? Jacksonville tied with Houston and Indianapolis. Jacksonville owns the tiebreaker. Tampa Bay battling with New Orleans, battling with Atlanta. They're in the NFC South. So there is a lot to do, and we are with you up until midnight. Guest lineup looks like this. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, my pal David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. He does an absolutely terrific job with that podcast. He's based right here in Jacksonville. We'll let David tell you what to look for for the University of Florida tomorrow on the early signing day. More on that in just a moment. And towards the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, right about 1040 or so, uh, Josh Buckhalter, heavy.com, talking NFL, Jaguars, AFC South, and more. Always enjoy the conversation with Josh Buckhalter of Heavy.com. But as we do every night to kick it off here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night and Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, the early signing period. You know, I remember a world where in February, this was one of the biggest days on the calendar for any college football fan. You might not know who the player is if they walked into your room right now, but you know the name. Everybody knows names this time of year, or at least they did when signing day was back in February. I'll never forget getting out of Wolfson High School, turning on Frangie's show way back in the day. Just couldn't wait to figure out where Anquan Bolden and Nick Maddox were going, thought Florida was going to get both of them. Nope. Lo and behold, both Bolden and Maddox went to Florida State, and I was upset about it the rest of the afternoon. Had no idea who Anquan Bolden and Nick Maddox were back then. I just knew they were high school kids that chose Florida State over Florida. That is what recruiting is. Tomorrow, that's still going to be the case, right? You will have Gator fans legit upset if a flip happens and a couple of flips are expected to happen, absolutely no idea who these guys are other than their names on a website. 
but I assuredly will get texts from people and uh, tweets from people, Matt Hayes among them, when Florida has a flip thinking that's going to bother me, and it doesn't really bother me anymore, man. Recruiting is crazy this time of year. You talk smack to your buddies if they lose a guy. You congratulate yourself if you get the guy, and that's what signing day has become. I did tell Baloo this, and I mean it. I don't like the December early signing period. Back when I was covering recruiting for Gridiron Now is back when the December signing period started, and we were wondering at the time, this was probably six, seven years ago, what is December signing period going to be? Is it going to be a few guys? Is it going to be half the guys? No. It is an overwhelming majority of the guys. You will have 80 to 90% of the guys will sign tomorrow. will make their announcements tomorrow. Very, very few wait till February anymore. So tomorrow, December, really is the day for national letters of intent. Tomorrow's a big day for the Florida Gators, and it's a big day for Billy Napier. They're going to miss on some guys. Their number three recruiting class has dropped to number 10. They've had some decommitments. Odds are they're going to have another flip or two tomorrow. But tomorrow is all about two guys. It's all about LJ McCray, the five-star D lineman from Daytona Beach Mainland. But first and foremost, it's about DJ Lagway, the five-star quarterback from Willis, Texas. Billy Napier's tenure at the University of Florida will be defined by DJ Lagway. If DJ Lagway is a success, Billy Napier's tenure likely will continue. If DJ Lagway doesn't see the field, Billy Napier likely won't see year four or certainly year five at the University of Florida. DJ Lagway will be the highest-ranked Gator quarterback that will sign with Florida in well over a decade. In fact, I think you have to go back to at least Jeff Driscoll, maybe even John Brantley, is how far back you have to go to find a guy as highly rated at the quarterback position that is going to sign with the University of Florida. According to 247sports.com, Lagway is the number four-ranked player nationally. He is number two among quarterbacks, and he was the MaxPreps.com player of the year. The guy is an absolute stud. Six foot two, 225 pounds. Now, he will probably not come in and start right away. Graham Mertz is returning to Florida. So, and plus, you play a brutal, brutal schedule. So, I would certainly think Mertz will be your starter against Miami to kick off 2024, but Lagway is the kind of guy that will most likely see the field in some capacity his true freshman year, and then certainly if all goes according to plan, it will be DJ Lagway's team beginning in 2025. Billy Napier was asked to recruit better than Dan Mullen, was asked to recruit better than Jim McElwain, He's also being asked to win some games, and he's having trouble doing that. But from the recruiting side, he is doing a pretty solid job. And again, DJ Lagway, regardless of how he turns out, for the here and now among the recruiting world, 
he is the top-rated quarterback Florida has brought in in over a decade. And we will see what happens. Again, Willis, Texas, he is holding his uh, ceremony tomorrow afternoon. LJ McCray is somebody to keep your eye on for Florida. Five-star defensive lineman, considered to be the number two defensive lineman nationally. Again, according to 247sports.com, Florida State and Auburn have put a full-court press on LJ McCray, but it appears Florida will likely hold on to him. At least that is what is being said and rumored about 12 hours before his signing ceremony. Amaris Williams is likely to flip tomorrow. He's also a four-star top 50 guy nationally, has been committed to Florida for quite some time. A lot of rumors about Auburn with him. Hugh Freeze and Auburn, I know you can make your jokes about Hugh Freeze, but Auburn is in on a lot of these guys. Auburn tomorrow may be flipping a lot of these guys. So with Florida, it's really all about DJ Lagway, and it's really all about LJ McCray. Florida right now is ranked number 10 on the 247.com recruiting rankings. Florida State tomorrow comes in at number four on the 247.com recruiting rankings. They are waiting on K.J. Bolden, five-star safety out of Buford, Georgia. They believe they're going to get him. Auburn, again, is making a very late run for K.J. Bolden. He has been committed to Florida State for quite some time. The hope in Tallahassee is he will stick that commitment out and sign on the dotted line tomorrow. We will have to see. Florida State also a very good quarterback. Luke Cromenhawk out of Savannah, Georgia, a four-star. He is among the top five quarterbacks in the country, just like D.J. Lagway, and Cromenhawk will sign with Florida State tomorrow. So we'll do some signing day stuff tomorrow. We got a couple of uh, ideas that we're going to have maybe for potential guests tomorrow. A couple of Hail Marys are being sent out as well. So we will see what we're able to bring you tomorrow night on Hacker After Dark. Denmark, you are in the high school coaching community. Uh, From a high school point of view, how big a day is tomorrow? You have a young man out there at Baldwin and Mason Carter, right, that's going to Sign with Vanderbilt tomorrow. Yeah, he's signing tomorrow. Uh, it seems like now uh, tomorrow is the biggest day. Uh, I, everybody is recruiting. I mean, it's kind of weird. You kind of have to commit by June now because if you don't commit by June going into your senior year, teams can't offer – they can't guarantee you a scholarship. I've saw this – I've seen this last couple of years. The guys wanted to go here in a couple of places over in June and – in May and get your visits and then they go well we don't have any more spots available we can't offer you a scholarship so you move on so early signing day has definitely changed a lot from that aspect uh it's definitely not the same but yeah tomorrow's tomorrow's the big day yeah here locally there's a lot of guys Derek Plaz and Mandarin we will have him on tomorrow night the big offensive tackle he is going to sign with Miami tomorrow morning there at Mandarin High School he's got a bunch of teammates a couple of guys going to Penn State from Mandarin. Colin Hurley, Trinity Christian, the quarterback, is going to sign with LSU. A lot of quarterbacks in the area. Colin Hurley at Trinity. James Reeser, Bishop Kenny, is signing with Iowa tomorrow. He's heading out to the Big Ten. I was talking with Derek Plaz earlier. We're going to have him on tomorrow again from Mandarin going to Miami. He enrolls in Coral Gables January 14th. He will be on the field for winter conditioning and certainly spring practice 
as he leaves for Miami and enrolls in classes there in January. And that's a lot of what you see now with early signing. You sign in December, and you are at your college of choice in January and able to start getting into that weight room and competing when spring drills roll around. So congratulations to everybody here locally that is signing on the early signing day tomorrow. And again, we'll have a lot of guests tomorrow night to break it down. Before we get there, we got to preview it. And we'll start with the University of Florida. David Waters, the Gators Breakdown Podcast, does an absolutely terrific job. Let's talk DJ Lagway. Let's talk LJ McCray. How solid is McCray to Florida? That's certainly one of the ones to watch tomorrow. And what else can Florida fans look forward to tomorrow during the early signing period? David Waters, the Gators Breakdown Podcast, is next. Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And as always, we are glad you are with us. Other guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. We are on the eve of the early signing period tomorrow. Penn will meet paper for a lot of prospects in our area and certainly all over the country. What does that mean for the Florida Gators down in Gainesville as they look to secure what was at one point a top five class? They hope to remain in the top ten when all is said and done. With that, we welcome in my friend David Waters. You hear him on the Gators Breakdown podcast, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. David, it's been a little while, man. How are you? Pretty good, Heck, uh, Of course, uh, not the not the season most hoped for out there, uh, unless you're not a Gator fan, <laughs> of course. But uh, it's uh, you know, it, I think we can absolutely tell with signing day being tomorrow – uh, that you know, this five and seven season uh, did, did have somewhat of an effect on uh, Billy Napier in the recruiting trail. Billy Napier will be back for year number three. I don't think there was ever really any question about that. Although some Gator fans wanted there to be questions about that, I think he deserves a third year, David. But I do think he is going to be on the hot seat when the season starts. Just your thoughts. Two years in, Billy Napier, eleven and fourteen on the job. Yeah, I think that's the thing. A lot more questions than I thought I'd have after two seasons is, is probably the best way. I, I do agree with you. Um, and this is pretty much goes for every coach out there. Yeah, you, you get three years, or, or you should be getting three years. And now, look, we've seen Willie Taggart get two years and Florida State go hire Norvell. We've seen Brian Harsett get fired after two years at Auburn and go hire Hugh Free. So it's not out of the question uh, for it to happen. But uh, at Florida – now, I think with that administration as well, and kind of what they maybe even told Billy Napier when he was getting the job, and he was going to have a little bit of time. But when you go 11 and 14, when you're coming off of a losing season in year two, it, it does ramp up. Uh, whether the administration wants it to or not, I don't think uh, Gator Nation is going to approve of uh, of what Florida has put on the field the last couple of years. So it does put some pressure. It does put some hot seat talking. And look at that. And I think we're seeing part of that is. As you mentioned, Hacker, I mean, this, this class, this recruiting class was up to number three at, at one point on recruiting services. And this was the thing that you were supposed to be able to sell in this rebuild. And now you're losing one of your best players in Trevor Etienne. And it's also making, you know, the, the win-loss record goes a long way in that. And the win-loss record goes a long way into holding on to this class as well. So a lot of the things that you were thinking that we were going to get with Billy Napier. Now, look, that's, that stuff even goes on the field, like the all the penalties and all the – 
inexcusable you know mishaps that happens on game day to go along with some of your best players in the transfer portal and, and this recruiting class uh, not finishing where it, it could have at one point. I just think at all, adding all those things up, heading into year three, it does put some pressure on Billy Napier. David Waters is the host of the Gators Breakdown podcast. He's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Quickly, before we get to tomorrow, you mentioned the transfer portal, David. The transfer portal giveth and it taketh away. Let's talk about some of the guys coming in. It was relatively quiet up until the last, I guess, 48 hours, and Florida has added three guys out of the portal at three positions of need, the secondary, the O-line, and the D-line. Your thoughts on what the Gators have accomplished as far as guys coming in from the portal so far? Yeah, uh, you mentioned secondary, and that would be uh, Traquez Bridges, a, a DB uh, transfer from Oregon. Played a lot of cornerback for Oregon the last couple of years, but he's going to play safety for Florida. He says that's his best fit. That's his best position. That's where he wants to play. That's where Florida wants him to play. And you look, and Florida relied on some really young guys last year in Jordan Castell and Bryce Thornton back there on the back end. Two true freshmen this past season. And look, they probably need a veteran presence back there. So, you know, Bridges comes in, an attacking style is a proven tackler uh, from you know, everything I can gather looking at. Um, what we saw from Oregon and, and some of the clips that we see out there, something Florida de- desperately needs back there on that back end is somebody who can play with a little bit of physicality, somebody who can make some plays, somebody who can make some tackles. Uh, and that's what Bridges brings to the table there. So just, it'd be interesting to see. Um, he had his best season a couple of years ago at Oregon. And it's a very similar defense um, from what Dan Landing played and uh, and puts together there at Oregon for what Austin Armstrong puts together at Florida. So he can come in right away and it won't be a, a new look defense for him. Uh, but also at the same time, uh, as you mentioned, trenches, uh, Florida hit those over the weekend, really, really experienced. I mean, all, all three of these guys, that's what Florida got to transfer portal was the guys who played a lot of football for the last few years. And offensive tackle Brandon Crenshaw Dixon from San Diego state played both tackle spots, right and left tackle. Uh, so he'll kind of maybe come in and, We'll see what that means for Austin Barber, uh, of course. You know, Jacksonville, Trinity Christian, and plays a lot of football the last couple of years for the Gators. Do they keep him on the left side and maybe the battles at right side, or do they move him back to right side where he played two year, two seasons ago? Uh, so I, I'm looking forward to what that means. And look, for at least for Florida, it means a lot of competition uh, along the offensive line, uh, certainly what they need. And I'm, I'm not sure they will be done in the transfer portal uh, for offensive line, too. I think Florida knows they need some help there. Um, eager to see how they develop some, some of the young guys that they have, but they got to hit the transfer portal, and they've done so here with Crenshaw Dixon. And then maybe the biggest pick up of all is defensive lineman Joey Slackman from Penn. He was the Ivy League defensive player of the year. Uh, he'd probably replay that strong side defensive end role for Florida, handing the dirt defensive end a bigger edge or a bigger end player. They can sign the tackle if they need to, uh, but I think he'll live with that handing the dirt strong side defensive end and just really wreaks havoc uh, up front and maybe um, it gives whoever plays edge for Florida next year somebody on the other side of them to to really help create pressure on the cornerback. So three really good pickups, as you said, for positions of need for the Gators. David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. Yeah, with Slackman, I know North Carolina was involved there, Auburn, mm-hmm. Michigan. I mean, Florida was able to get him over a lot of really good schools that wanted him, so he was certainly in high demand. And then quickly, because I want to spend a majority of the time we have left on what's going to happen tomorrow, uh, but the transfer portal also taketh away there was a lot of guys that entered, and it looked, a lot of guys, no offense to them, 
were probably not in Florida's plans moving forward. They wanted greener pastures elsewhere. That was not the case for a couple of notables, maybe Caleb Douglas, certainly Prince Uman Mielin, Chris McClellan. And the biggest one of all is Trevor Etienne. And I made this point last night. Look, if his name was Trevor Johnson and he had the same stat line, Florida fans would be upset about it, but it wouldn't be as big a deal. I think he is an ETN because of his brother, because of how they are in NIL and people know them. I think optically, David, from a PR standpoint, losing ETN might have been as big there as what it was losing him on the field. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can certainly see that. And, of course, also the the rumors that he might be going to Georgia. I've kind of heard as well. So um, there's a couple ways to look at that one. Heck, I, I, go, I go back to it, and we'll, you throw Will Norman in there too just because he's a young player. Um, but somebody like McClellan and Will Norman and ETN, you know, those are guys Billy Napier brought in. And those are guys Billy Napier wanted to build this program with and look it was going to you were going to see those guys start paying off in year three all the experience that he was given to these young players in year one and year two look that was supposed to be building to something well what is it building to now when they're going to be playing for other teams uh and that's you know that's the the angle of a slow rebuild down in today's college football i'm not so sure holds weight now uh i, I don't know if guys are going to wait around you know, to, to win ball games anymore with the way they can just go somewhere else and win ball games now so it, it hurts that you don't get the benefit of playing those players the last couple of years so for etn you at the running back spot you know him and montreal johnson very similar stats when you look at it the last couple of years but still to proven to be that home run hitter that Florida had out of the backfield. Now they got to go find somebody else who can do those things. Caleb Douglas at receiver, you know, that's take it or lose it, I think. Um, I think Florida has confidence in what they have at the young spots in receiver. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, I think he could have found a role here uh, in, in this Florida offense. And then you just don't want to lose guys up front uh, on the trenches. Somebody like Chris McClellan, you know, he was one of the highest rated players in Billy Napier's first class. And he committed to Florida when Florida didn't even have a head coach. But right after they fired Dan Mullen and before they even hired Billy Napier. So that's how much he wanted to be at Florida at one point. Uh, and, and as I said, Will Norman as well. We've we've uh, along the defensive line. We've seen the issues Florida has had uh, from the defensive line, and now you're losing two young players uh, to the portal to kind of help build that up. So uh, there's a couple of ways there. Hacking. I know everybody's losing players. Everybody's losing players they didn't expect to lose. But for Billy Napier and where this roster is, losing some of those young pieces, using losing the player like Etn doesn't uh, you know it, it can't hang well for for a lot of Gator Nation and trying to maybe turn this thing around. All right, David, let's look ahead to tomorrow, and tomorrow should be a good day for Gator fans, the changing of the guard to an extent. DJ Lagway, there was some concern with Mike Elko going into a and I know they put the full-court press on him in the last couple of days. It has not seemed to work. It appears Lagway is going to stick with his longstanding commitment, and he will be a Florida Gator by tomorrow night. Uh, your thoughts on what that means for the Gator program moving forward? That's Billy Napier's linchpin, um, and I'm eager to see how much he'll play year one. I think he'll get some snaps as long as he comes in and improves it. Um, I know a lot of people are probably getting tired of hearing about it, but is it some kind of with, – with Graham Mertz coming back, is it some kind of Chris Lee, Tim Tebow combination, something similar to that maybe, where Lagway can get his feet wet, uh, get some snaps, but we got to remember it's a very tough schedule as well. So, you know, <laughs> Can you get him the opportunities to play? Uh, I, I think he can be that special, but of course, you know, that's a lot of work on his end coming in as well. Uh, but you, you'd love to say that's I mean, 
Billy Napier had to get him. Uh, we, we know that for sure. Uh, but, you know, with the pressure, with the hot seat talk, you know, is it um, – will Billy Napier get to see it play out uh, And uh, for, for, for DJ Lagway? So you had to get him kind of you – know, the way this recruiting class may be faltering down the stretch anyway, that was the one piece that could not fall out of this class. Billy Napier needed DJ Lagway. Look, credit to Lagway, credit to Napier for building that relationship, building that bond where it didn't matter what Florida looked like on the field. It didn't matter who was leaving the class. Uh, DJ Lagway has a lot of confidence in what Billy Napier is building at Florida. David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. All right, questions going in to tomorrow. We know the Gators have lost a lot as far as decommitments, and after a 5-7 and seven record, it was kind of expected. Xavier Filsimi decommitted yesterday and is going to Texas. I think most people expected that, and I guess some are happy it happened on Monday as opposed to at a signing table on Wednesday. The big one tomorrow, I guess, David, is uh, McCray, right, the five-star D lineman from Daytona Beach, Mainland. I know Auburn has done a full-court press there. I know Florida State has done a full-court press there to this point. McCray is stuck with Florida. What are you hearing as far as the Daytona Beach Manlin prospect heading into tomorrow? I think he'll stick, Hack. Um, like you said, Auburn, FSU, recent visits to those schools lately, coming in really hard late. But I think uh, McCray likes the vision of Austin Armstrong, what he's building on this defensive side of the ball, thinks he can be a difference maker, thinks he can come in and play right away. Right? He does offer some position versatility. So I think that that comes a long way. Now, look, Auburn needs some defensive line help as well. They've been selling that vision kind of too as well. Uh, but I think he has some better relationships and the, the vision that he can come in and play uh, here at Florida um, as, a, as a true freshman uh, with a big-time schedule. I, mean, I think that speaks to him as well, wanting to play in the SEC, wanting to play this type of schedule Florida has in 2024. So, Hack, I, I think as we sit a day before, I'd be mildly surprised if he if he doesn't end up a Gator. I, I'm not I'm not completely shocked anymore in the world of recruiting. <laughs> but uh, I'd be mildly surprised if he doesn't sign with the Gators. David, no matter what happens tomorrow, because Florida might lose some guys tomorrow, if they get signatures at the end of tomorrow from DJ Lagway and from LJ McCray, that's a good day, correct? It it, it, it is a good day. Um, overall, the, the signing class would, you know, would would be taking a hit, but I think when you start, okay, what are the good parts of this class? I mean, you start there. You got your quarterback. You got one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And like a lot of people say, Ozzy McCray is the best defensive lineman in the country. You know, depending on rankings and uh, what he offers, can play right away. Like as I said, position versatility as well uh, up front. He can maybe even play up up to three hundred pounds at some point in his career. So yeah, you, that, those are your cornerstones. Uh, you know, Phil Simmons was up there as well as one of the better defenders in this class, but. You got one of the best quarterbacks. You got one of the best defensive linemen. You know, you hope Billy Napier does enough in 2024 where he can really build on those guys for the next few years. All right, let's go rapid fire, David. We got about two minutes or so to go. McCray's right. teammate, Mincy, the safety. Now, apparently, we're not going to know until January at one of the All Star games. He's going to sign tomorrow, but it's going to be a secret until January. Apparently, that is a Florida. I guess Miami battle from what I'm hearing. What are you hearing about McCray's teammate? Yep, uh, those are two schools. Maybe Bama outside looking in, too. So I, I won't forget about them. I, I'd lean Miami right now, Hack, but I do think uh, that, that he could even be waffling uh, for the next 48, you know, the next 24 hours or so uh, before he makes a decision. I'll lean Miami right now. 
Uh, the name escapes me, but that four-star running back that decommitted from Arkansas yesterday was in for Florida a couple weeks ago. He's visited Alabama as well. What are we hearing about that young man? Uh, Jaden Ball, yeah, flipped from uh, – he decommitted from Arkansas. That's kind of been expected. Florida-Alabama battle, Florida visit two weeks ago. Bama this past weekend. Bama did a really good job uh, there, I think, of making themselves a player here. Um, I'm still hearing more Florida right now. I think Bama, they do want two running backs. I think they're in a flip market as well. Uh, and I'll go Florida right now for Jaden Ball. You know, that, that'd give Florida their two running backs in this class with, along with Kane Daniels. Again, David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. You know better than I do. You're in this world every day. But from my, what I've heard, the two other potential flip candidates that Florida may lose tomorrow – Amaris Williams or Amarius Williams. And the interesting thing there is we've been hearing that for a long time. First yeah. it was Ohio State. Now it's Auburn. And as we get a day out of signing day, he's still committed to Florida, which is interesting. And then I guess Hayes, Darius Hayes, who's been committed to Florida forever, potentially maybe flipping to Miami. What are you hearing? Uh, I think both those flips happen, Hacker, uh, which we you know, we would really sting for Florida on signing day. Williams, is, as you mentioned, kind of just been on flip watch for a little while now. Ohio State seemed like the school at one time. Now he's tweeting more damn eagle over the weekend, and it just seems like he's just looking uh, to flip here. There's still some confidence on Florida side that they can hang on to him, and that goes for the uh, Darius Hayes as well. There's some confidence on Florida side that they can keep him in the class, but you know, multiple visits to Miami, was there for an official visit this past weekend. And what hurts that one was Florida was supposed to go in home with him on Friday, he knew that. Everybody knew that. But he left and visits Miami anyway uh, and forgoes the in-home visit from Florida. So read the tea leaves. That may not look good for Florida there. So uh, I think on as we see here day before signing day, I think both those flips happen away from Florida and they go elsewhere. David, final question. What else tomorrow? If Gator fans listening tonight, what else do they need to be on the lookout for tomorrow? Uh, safety, uh, Gregory Smith. Uh, big body. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talk of him having a very, very high ceiling, maybe not the come in instant impact of Xavier Fields to me. Florida won both. They would have taken both. There's no connection between the two. Uh, but Gregory Smith is a is a name to probably look out for at the safety spot for Florida. Uh, Isaiah Williams, too, took a visit to Texas A&M this past weekend. And there were some good, good feelings on their side for the wide receiver out of the state of Florida. Uh, but he's been to Florida way too many times this past year. I think uh, Florida hangs on to him, uh, what a speedy receiver there. Um, took that visit to College Station, raised some eyebrows in that visit. But I think Florida uh, hangs on there, and and that and that flip up from Florida doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't happen uh, like like the others <laughs> that I'm predicting here. So should be an eventful day. Um, nothing set in stone, of course. Uh, and uh, I think you know Florida hanging on for dear life right here with some of these guys that can flip away. And again, you can hear all the reaction at the Gators Breakdown podcast. David Waters does a terrific job as the host. David Waters. David, appreciate it, man. Know you're busy this week. Enjoy tomorrow, and we'll be listening, my friend. Right. Thanks, Edgar. You know, speaking of the Florida Gators, we've got signing day tomorrow. Boy, what a win for Gator basketball tonight. Huge win for Todd Golden, Gator basketball, the Jumpman Invitational as they get it done over Jawan Howard and the Michigan Wolverines. And look, I know Michigan is, I think they were 6-5 and five coming into tonight. It is still Michigan, right? Florida would not have had a prayer of beating Michigan the last couple of years. What a nice non-conference win for the Gators 
They now have non-conference wins over Florida State, over Pitt, over Michigan, East Carolina, Richmond. Uh, they've had a couple of heartbreakers, but by and large, eight and three for the Gators. They got two more what I would call cupcakes before they get into conference play there in the beginning of January. So it looks like all these transfers that have come in have paid dividends there for Gator basketball. Again, congratulations to them. A double overtime win tonight over the Michigan Wolverines. More on signing day coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. We've already talked Florida. We will talk Florida State. Logan Robinson of Noel Game Day, which is powered by Sports Illustrated. We'll look at what Florida State is anticipating tomorrow. We'll also talk with Justin Barney of Channel 4 about some of the area players, the area athletes that are on their way to college football. Speaking of high school football in our area, how about the news that came out earlier today? There are not a lot of guys in our city that are state champion head football, high school football coaches. Bobby Ramsey is one of them. He won that state title at Mandarin. Left Mandarin to help start the program at Impact Christian. Come to find out earlier this afternoon, Bobby Ramsey has been named the head football coach at Jackson, at Andrew Jackson. And we know the success they had with Kevin Sullivan. We know the success they had with Christopher Foy. And now Bobby Ramsey back in the Duval County public school system out there on 48th and Main as the head coach of the Jackson Tigers. I'll have my buddy Bobby Ramsey on probably later this week to talk about that decision. Coming up next, let's get into the National Football League. The Jaguars have a big one on Sunday. Division-leading Jacksonville traveling to division-leading Tampa Bay. Both teams have very, very little room for error. It's a big game. Trevor Lawrence in concussion protocol. How is that going to play into it? There's a lot to discuss. We'll talk about that with Josh Buckhalter. Heavy.com does a terrific job covering the National Football League, and he's next. Hacker After Dark on a Tuesday night here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers on Sunday, 4 o'clock. You'll hear the game right here. On 1010XL, it's an enormous game for both teams. And now the situation with Trevor Lawrence in concussion protocol, will it be C.J. Beathard getting the start for Jacksonville? We'll have to wait and see. Josh Buckhalter does a terrific job covering the National Football League and the NBA for Heavy.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Josh, how you doing? I'm feeling good, man. Thank you for having me back. Hey, Josh, always appreciate the time. All right, Jaguars on a three-game losing streak. They had this division uh, with a stranglehold about three weeks ago. Now, all of a sudden, they are in a dogfight with Indianapolis and Houston. Josh, your thoughts on the Jaguars and what is going wrong for them right now? Uh, I think you kind of just touched on it earlier. It's the injuries. Um, surprisingly, Indianapolis is putting up such a fight with uh, all the backups that they're having to put into place. Um, Houston is always going to be your biggest competition uh, with C.J. Straub, but with him going down, you're getting, you're getting no break with Indy. So it's really just the fact that, you know, you lose Christian Kirk and now you're dealing with uh, injuries along the offensive line. And now uh, with Lawrence and concussion protocol, 
the the outlook is definitely not as rosy as it once was. Well, and the the offense, I mean, you know, the crazy thing here, the Jaguars have had three what I would call showcase home games this year, Baltimore, San Francisco, Kansas City. And, Josh, with this offense, even when they've been healthy, they've scored a combined one touchdown in those 12 quarters. I mean, that is just not going to get the job done. Yeah, it's not. Um, and I think it's it's some of the lack of offensive diversity that you saw with uh, Peterson in his towards the end of his end of his tenure in Philadelphia. Uh, you have a dynamic player in Trevor Lawrence, and you have some a plethora of weapons. Uh, but sometimes the offense, like you say, can feel a little bit stagnant. And so um, when you have like the the rotating injuries and things like that up front, and you just have different things that the quarterback, a young quarterback, still in Lawrence is trying to adjust to, it can create a situation where if everything's not working perfectly, you end up with a three game losing streak as you guys have right now. And it's, it's tough because I'm hearing some of the conversation coming out, you know, out about Lawrence right now. And I think it's funny because up in here in here in Chicago, you know, you're dealing with Justin Fields and his murky future to hear some of the similarities in the tone of conversation between those two is kind of striking to me just because I just haven't seen or heard that kind of talk about Lawrence before. You know, it's interesting. You bring that up again, Josh Buckhalter, heavy.com covering the National Football League. You mentioned Lawrence as a dynamic player, and I agree with you, Josh. At times he is, and at times he does things that just make you scratch your head, like the fumble against uh, Baltimore where nobody touched him, the end of half, the horrific clock management. There's some criticism going Trevor Lawrence's way down here. Do you think that's warranted? I think it's always warranted. You know, it comes with the territory of being that guy for a franchise. At the same time, I don't know if, if some of the struggles that we see from a lot of these young quarterbacks shouldn't be expected. Um, I think uh, I saw somebody point out the Patrick Mahomes uh, model is, you know, the exception, not the rule. And I think people also forget he didn't get thrown right into the fire. And so when you see the success that he had right away, quote unquote, um, you got to put that in there and, and you can't apply that to everybody else because, first of all, every player is different. Every situation is different. Uh, but then also he's such an anomaly. He was such an anomaly in that. And then you look at the situation this season. You know, they changed the offensive coordinator. Uh, the weapons around him aren't the same, aren't of the same standard, and they're struggling. So it's it's it doesn't take uh, a mathematician to figure out that if the pieces aren't going well around or working well around the, the quarterback, the quarterback might not look as good as you expect him to. You know, let's look at the AFC South. Let's begin with Indianapolis. I think Shane Steichen should get some love for Coach of the Year. With all the injuries they've had, I described them on social media this week. They're just a pain in the you-know-what. And I think they like that. I think they like being thought of in that regard. They're not the sexiest team. They're not the flashiest team. But they're 8-6, and six, and they're looking very good right now heading into a big game against Atlanta. Josh, what's your thought on the job Steichen's done with the Colts? Uh, it's been terrific. Uh, he took over a situation that I think was very disappointing for a lot of fans, um, especially you know having Matty Bufus coming from that defense. I've actually paid attention to the Colts a little bit and have a um, very uh, good working relationship with one of their writers. And so just keeping an eye on him, you kind of saw an organization that had so much promise and it's kind of been in the muck since losing Andrew Luck unexpectedly a couple of years back. So they have Anthony Richardson fall in their lap, right? And things get exciting again. You have this uh, coordinator coming over from the Eagles that's going to bring an exciting offense. And then you lose Richardson. And in most situations, you would expect for things to fall off the rails. But like you said, Steichen's done a great job of keeping this thing together. And I, if he doesn't get coach of the year love, then there's got to be an issue with the voting. And, and not only Richardson, they haven't had Jonathan Taylor for a good portion of the year. Darius Leonard is now in Philadelphia. I mean, they've had an interesting season, to say the least. And they're 8-6 and six 
right in the battle there. And then going to Houston, Shane Steichen should get some love, and so should D'Amico Ryans for Coach of the Year. And I thought what they did on Sunday going into Tennessee with the Titans wearing the oil or throwbacks to try to rub it in their face a little bit, no C.J. Stroud, no Nico Collins, no Tank Dell, no Will Anderson. And to go into Nashville, Josh, and get a win, what a win that was for that Texan football team. Yeah, D'Amico Rides is a guy who's been building up his reputation even before he got that job, long before he got that job. And so um, it was one of the few situations where a defensive guy got handed a uh, quarterback such as Stroud, and I don't think there was as much worry as there is in some of those situations. Again, we're <laughs> referencing back here in Chicago with Iberflus and Fields. So um, to see him kind of do it is, is – is, I guess encouraging is much more than surprising because a long time, this has been coming for a long time for him. I think, uh, like I said, his reputation has just been growing and growing defensively. And so to lose a guy like Will Anderson and keep things on track is not surprising at all. But like you said, man, just to lose all those offensive weapons, have a rookie quarterback and get to this point and then do it again with Case Keen, who we know is a gamer in the Gardner Minshew mold. Uh, it's very impressive what they're doing. Josh Buckhalter, heavy.com. See the thing with me and the injuries here in Jacksonville, there's validity to them. But I look at what Houston did in Nashville with all their injury problems. Indianapolis, we talked about all their injury problems. You got teams like Cincinnati and Cleveland that have lost franchise quarterbacks and are now right in the thick of the playoff conversation. Injuries are not an excuse for the Jaguars. Other teams have found ways around them. The Jaguars need to follow suit, and they need to do it very quickly. Well, I think you just nailed it there. there that's the separator between what makes a really good coach and a great coach is the the ability to adapt on the fly in that situation. Um, oftentimes, the best example is coaches not fitting their offensive schemes or defensive schemes to the personnel that they have. Same thing applies when it comes to overcoming adversity, such as penalties, uh, uh, lost players and stuff like that. And so you're seeing a difference maybe in the caliber of coaching uh, ahead of these teams. Now, Josh, in regards to the AFC South, it's interesting. They're all eight and six. Jacksonville has the benefit of the tiebreaker. They beat Indy head-to-head twice, and they got the division tiebreaker on Houston. So the Texans or the Colts have to finish a game better than the Jaguars. Having said that, you look at the three games for each team left, it's complicated because Houston and Indy play each other week 18. Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol, so his status for Tampa Bay is very much in the air I mean, how do you see these next three weeks playing out in regards to the AFC South? Uh, it's going to be a dogfight, and it's really going to come down to uh, how quickly can Lawrence come back and Stroud out in Houston. Um, I think the Indy story is great. I I just can't see it riding out to the end of the season. Of course, stranger things have happened, so anything is possible. But um, I think those two teams, Jacksonville and Houston, have the best quarterbacks in that division. And if they can get back in healthy again, anything is possible. Now, if it comes down to those two teams – I would have to say that I would lean towards Houston at this point in time just because of what we've seen from Jacksonville of late. However, um, I know what Lawrence is capable of, and if they can find some kind of way to, to get any kind of rhythm over the next couple of weeks, I think that they might be able to pull it out. Josh, you go back 20, 25 years, right, whether it's Brady and the Patriots, Manning and the Colts, Manning and the Broncos, a little bit of Flacco in Baltimore, Mahomes in Kansas City. There was a dominant team, right? We kind of had an idea what the AFC playoffs were going to look like. Man, I have no idea this year. I could see Baltimore, Miami, Kansas City, Buffalo. I mean, you could see a host of teams coming out of the AFC. How do you think it's going to play itself out in the conference? 
Uh, I would actually have to say it's going to come down to the war of attrition. Um, the like you said, there's not really a juggernaut, and I think it's really because every team's warts are so clear now, right? Um, you got Miami who get them outside, maybe play a little bit physical with them, and you can kind of disrupt what they're doing. Uh, Buffalo, if you want to make that be a one-dimensional offense where they don't try to run the ball, right? You got uh, you got Kansas City. They just kind of seem to do it to themselves lately. But there, there's clear and obvious warts with every single contender right now. So. I have Baltimore at the top, but I'm not extremely confident that if they had to go up into a, a battle against a team that can throw the ball around the yard, Miami, Buffalo, um, uh, Jacksonville with a healthy Lawrence, that they're going to come out on top of that matchup because the playoffs are a different animal altogether, right? It's it's almost as though uh, players take it personal at that point in time. And so if they get to, to – a postseason battle where they have to let Lamar drop back and, and air the ball out. Now he's, he can throw. That's not me saying he can't throw. What I'm saying is they're just not built to be that kind of a, a battle. And I think if you guys get Lawrence back, Jacksonville is. So um, if I had to shake it out now, I would probably still go with Baltimore at the top. Uh, but right behind them, I have Miami and, and Kansas City. And then you guys, depending on what happens with Lawrence. And the absolutely crazy thing, you got Miami, Baltimore, Kansas City, all battling for those top three spots. One of those teams is likely to see Buffalo in round one. The other one is likely to see Cleveland potentially in round one. It is going to be a crazy first round of the AFC playoffs. Quickly, Josh, because I want to get to the NBA as we wrap up. In the NFC, is it San Francisco and everybody else? That's the way it looks right now. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And you, I'm glad you brought the Buffalo because I definitely forgot to throw them in there as that team that you, they Jekyll and Hyde everything. Um, but for San Francisco, it's their division, it's their conference to lose. Um, as long as they can keep Brock Purdy upright, they are looking like their their passport is stamped to go to the Super Bowl this year. Josh Buckhalter, Heavy.com, not only covers the National Football League, he also covers the National Basketball Association. Josh, I am a long-suffering Orlando Magic fan. And they've stubbed their toe a little bit in back-to-back games up in Boston. But they got to be one of the surprises of the league to this point. Eventually, Wendell Carter and Markel Fultz will come back. They've missed like the entire year, it seems. But with Paolo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, it appears finally there is some hope in Central Florida. Yeah, uh, just the way you described that entire situa- situation, right? They stubbed their toe in Boston. That's expectations, and that's a good thing. That's a great sign for an organization that's been kind of, uh, you know, aimless for a few years now in the post-Dwight and post the superstar eras that they've had in, in years past. Um, and I can tell you, as somebody who follows the Bulls, that there are plenty of Bulls fans who see what they've helped the Magic build and are jealous now because they just didn't have the foresight like the Magic front office has. And to get a talent like Paolo definitely brings it all together, uh, but there's so many other play- pieces in place already and and coming after that I think you have can't be anything but encouraged by the direction of the organization. Yeah, tell the Bulls fans up there on behalf of every Magic fan, thank you for Franz Wagner and thank you for Wendell Carter Jr. when he's healthy anyway. Uh, well, you know, Josh, as you look around the NBA, LeBron James, right? Every athlete eventually loses to father time. It has happened to everybody, and at some point it will happen to LeBron. But LeBron is to the point now where he's 38, about to turn 39, 39 years old. And you could argue he is still the best player in the NBA. I mean, he is an absolute freak of nature. Yeah, if nothing else, LeBron's career is going to be the greatest testament into self-investment 
right? Ever. Because he, we've heard about the exorbitant amounts of money that he spends on keeping his body in tip-top shape. Uh, we've seen the results of it in his longevity. And then you're seeing it in how, like you just said, he's still, if not the, among the best players in the league today. Um, it's incredible to witness. And even if you aren't somebody who, you know, wants to get into the GOAT debate, you have to be able to appreciate just what he's been able to do in his illustrious career. Josh Buckhalter, Heavy.com. Josh, we love Heavy.com. We have your colleagues, Sean Devaney and Matt Lombardo on. Tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about Heavy.com and what they can expect when they head on over to the website. Oh, you're going to expect some deep insight. Uh, we're going to add some value to everything that you're, every story that you're going to get. Uh, and we're trying to uh, give you that, that maybe underlying storyline that you're not going to find in most places. Josh Buckhalter of Heavy.com covering the NFL and the National Basketball Association. Josh, really appreciate the time. Know you're busy. Happy holidays, my friend. Happy New Year. And we'll talk again early in 2024. Sounds like a plan, man. Happy holidays. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 11 o'clock hour has arrived. We'll take you to midnight, our late night show every Tuesday here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up next, or in about 10 minutes or so, a little under 10 minutes, Logan Robinson of Knoll Game Day, powered by Sports Illustrated. We did Florida's preseason, or uh, I guess pre-signing day preview in hour one. What about Florida State? What can you expect as a Seminole fan tomorrow with early signing? Florida State will lay the blueprint out, and they started bowl preparation today to get ready for Georgia coming up on December 30th. What was the vibe in Tallahassee? Mike Norvell met the media earlier today. Logan Robinson was there. We'll give you all the information he gathered as Florida State gets ready for early signing day and prepares their work for the Orange Bowl coming up on December 30th. And later on in the 11 o'clock hour, my friend Justin Barney of Channel 4 as we look around Northeast Florida and talk about the players that will put their ink on paper tomorrow to continue their football journeys. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us here on a Tuesday. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. There's a lot going on. Obviously, Tampa Bay and Jacksonville on Sunday. You'll hear that game right here on 1010XL. And we have the early signing period tomorrow in the world of college football. Let's talk about both things with Logan Robinson. He is the founder of both Noel Game Day and Bucks Game Day that are both powered by Sports Illustrated. And he's here with us on 1010XL. Logan, how you doing, man? Doing good. As always, thank you for having me. And as you said, it has been very, very busy, definitely in the Florida State football world. Logan, I haven't talked to you since they were left out of the playoff. In fact, you and I talked, I want to say, a day or two before the ACC championship game. They ultimately beat Louisville, a great defensive performance, and then left out of the playoff. Now, they got back on the practice field earlier today to start their Orange Bowl preparation, but What's kind of the vibe around Florida State right now as they start preparing for the Orange Bowl? I think right now for fans and even media on hand is figuring out who's actually going to be playing against Georgia. You go from winning the ACC championship and then don't even get time to really celebrate that, like Mike Norvell said after practice today. So it's one of the most challenging time for him coaching ever. 
in his lifetime. And so, you know, right now Florida State fans are wondering, you know, how is this team going to look like going into a bowl game after they got their heart broken, not being able to get into that college ball playoff after winning 13 games and losing none. And now FSU without obviously Jordan Travis, Tay Rodemaker should be cleared for this game. But there's a lot of question marks of who's available. Trey Benson is opting out. Looking at Johnny Wilson, opted out. One of the first players to opt out. And then, you know, just can't say a lot about what happened in practice today. But I think there's going to be a lot of question marks going into the game in Miami against the Bulldogs. Logan, is it sadness, anger, acceptance? Kind of where is the program now getting ready for Georgia? Well, you know, there's still a lot of anger you can tell from FSU Twitter that they're not done being mad about it and I don't blame them whatsoever and we hear a lot of national media outlets and analysts talking about it so it riles up FSU fans whenever they're going in Alabama's favor um, and there's just some kind of uh, that sadness because you never got to see the potential of Florida State and definitely that defense I think whenever I was on here with you Ryan when we were previewing this ACC championship game we said this defense had to step up and man oh man did they and they look like a top five defense in the country and you don't give them a chance. You don't give Jared Burst, Braden Fisk, that defensive line, that secondary that played excellent. You don't give them one chance at all. And you're relying at all on Jordan Travis not being available to play, it seems like, from the college football playoff committee. So there's there's anger. There's hurt. There's sadness. All the way around, this team uh, just feels like they got, they got gypped on uh, everything in this playoff. Logan Robinson is the founder of Noel Game Day. He's with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Logan, every time Florida State's had their back against the wall this season, they've come through, obviously, at 13-0, and but it's going to be a different team. As you mentioned, a lot of guys will not be in the Orange Bowl. A lot of guys have entered the transfer portal. We'll get to that in a moment. Georgia's facing some of the same stuff themselves. I mean, this is where we are in the playoff era of college football, Logan. We got two teams that are a combined 25-1, and one. two teams here in Jacksonville that are two of the four that we mainly cover, and yet it's going to be a shell of a game that it could have been two or three months ago. Yep, I was talking with our writers at Noel Game Day, and it was just crazy to think of if you would have told me during the preseason that Florida State would be facing Georgia in the postseason, but it wouldn't be in the college football playoffs or a national championship. I would say that you're freaking crazy. I mean, the amount of talent that both sides of the ball has for Florida State and Georgia, um, it, it's definitely a major disappointment from what could have been. And like you said, Georgia's going through the, the situation now of potential opt-outs, guys in the transfer portal. And sure enough, as we know, this week has been very busy with a lot of transfer drama. I know we're going to get to some names, but uh, that, that's the thing that Florida State and, and what Mike Norvell has been able to build in this locker room, build a culture that wants to continue and move on. Yes, you got hurt badly. Things went downhill, but there's still one more game to be played. And if Florida State can show a good fight with their backup quarterback and Miami, I think it shows a lot about the program and, and uh, facing adversity, but then also showing that you can compete with a team like Georgia. It's not going to be easy whatsoever. But, uh, you know, Mike Rebell's got to get his team rallied around and, and say there's one more game ahead and just can't overlook and get ready for next season. 
Finally, before we get to the portal and some recruiting and then switching things up to Tampa Bay and Jacksonville, these lawsuits and these things going on, I mean, do Florida State, does the program uh, appreciate that or are they about ready to say enough of that and let's just move on down the road? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to take a little bit longer. I think for FSU fans, they're, they're, they're diehard fans. And I mean, our, our site traffic has broken every record imaginable. And it just goes to show even those that might have not been so tied into Florida State or really wanted to keep up with it or go on social media and check out on articles. They're doing that now, and it's brought not only just Florida State's fan base, it's brought a little bit of the other college football fans that might be on the same side of Florida State and the community there of how they're feeling. And, you know, you, you, you gave the opportunity to, to Alabama here, and, you know, I think FSU fans were expecting to be either in that three spot or the four spot. And it's just always going to be just kind of how it was in 2020 when Florida State basketball didn't get the chance to continue their run with what seemed like a really powerful elite team under Lennon Hamilton and didn't get to see them because of COVID. It sort of feels this way, although you're losing Jordan Travis, but man, what could have been for this 2023 team that a lot of guys came back, Jared Burst, Jordan Travis, Johnny Wilson, you brought in Keon Coleman, you brought in Braden Fisk, you brought in Fentrell Cypress, you know, you, you did everything you could this off season and end season and you win every game and, and you're left out. It's a, it's a cruddy time, but if, if anybody's wanting to stick behind somebody and let them lead the charge, it will be Mike Norvell. And I really liked his comments after practice today saying, you know, this is, it hurts. It's been one of the most challenging times in my coaching career, but we, we've got to move on and we've got to get ready for a game ahead. Logan Robinson, the founder of Noel Game Day. Quickly, Logan, to the transfer portal. Mike Norvell, to me, is the king of the transfer portal, yet it's been kind of quiet for Florida State early on. They have had some guys that have transferred out of the program. What's your thought on the portal to this point for the Knowles? Uh, the, tra the transfer portal has, uh, transfer portal has been – a major success for Mike Norvell, the Florida State football program. And like I was just saying, they're a big time one year players. You go back and think about Jermaine Johnson, you go back to Sean Corbin early on in Florida State's and Mike Norvell's tenure. A lot of the players that come in and start right away and sometimes play for just a season, like we'll see with Keon Coleman and Braden Fist, some of those players that come in right away make such a big impact. So this is what, once again, Florida State's going to try to do. And it's going to start at the quarterback room with DJU, former Clemson. Uh, quarterback and then Oregon State now in the transfer portal came and visited Florida State along with Cameron Ward uh, you know Florida State's looking to bring in a veteran quarterback for this 2024 season it's pretty apparent because they do have Luke Cromanhog they've got a Brock Lennon they think very highly of. we'll see what Tate Rodemaker intends on doing once this veteran quarterback comes into play into this system but you could definitely tell they want to bring in a veteran quarterback because they feel like they still have something that they can prove going into 2024 uh, there's enough talent on that defensive side. Florida State's done a good job there, uh, but there's still a, a lot of lot of room to uh, add some additions because right now, with just some of the rumors, some of the drama going on, Florida State's kind of hurting in some certain areas, and they've got to find some answers. Anybody that's transferred out or that's entered the portal from the Florida State roster stick out to you? Uh, the number one for me so far that's been solidified in these He's entering the transfer portal that's going to make a big impact going into 2024. It's going to be DJ Lundy, veteran linebacker. Came in the early part of the tenure for Florida State, Mike Norvell. Uh, came in, 
was developed very, very nicely. And uh, I think it came to a surprise once he announced his intentions on entering the transfer portal. And a lot of this has to do with NIL, money-related things, and, and trying to get the best opportunities there. But Florida State right now is very, very thin and experienced at linebacker. Yes, there's some young guys or some young studs that have impressed and practices and such. But that, that, that's not the same level of a DJ Lundy. And Florida State's going to have to work in that transfer portal, go to the recruiting board, and, and try to bring in some talent there. But Lundy, Lundy's going to be a rough, rough, rough miss because you look at, too, Kalen Deloach is no longer going to be here, and also Tatum Bethune, your two starters. And DJ Lundy was kind of in your three-linebacker three package, come in and get a lot of reps and a lot of playing time. And uh, right now, you know, DJ Lundy is in that transfer portal looking at other schools and programs. Logan, final Florida State question. Tomorrow, the early signing period, uh, what's Florida State waiting on? I know they're potentially trying to flip McCray, the five-star out of Mainland, although uh, it looks like he's going to stick with Florida, at least right now. What should Florida State fans be anticipating for tomorrow? Well, they're always interesting, right? We always know that Florida State, when it comes to early signing day, things get a little interesting. And so, like you were just saying, McCray is one to watch to see if Florida State can can do worse some magic there. I'm keeping a close eye on K.J. Bolden. I'm not saying that Florida State may lose out and, and lose him to Auburn, but I'm keeping a close eye on the other program there. Florida State has done a fantastic, fantastic job and their recruitment of Bolden have been staying close and tight-knit. Coach Sertan in his first season as secondaries coach for the Seminoles has done a phenomenal job, not only on the field with the product that he's put together in his first season, but also on the recruiting trail, bringing in some top defensive back talent. So something to maybe monitor, keep a close eye on with Bolden, but from what he told us to the media, he is fully uh, you know, sticking with Florida State and the Seminoles, but – we, we've definitely heard that before Florida State fans have. And uh, that's what makes early signing day good. And then, man, it can be heartbreaking at any time. But I am leaning still Florida State at the moment. Logan Robinson of Noel Game Day. You're also the founder of Bucks Game Day. Boy, a big one in Tampa on Sunday, Logan. We'll have it right here on 1010XL, the Jaguars and the Buccaneers. Jacksonville 8-6. and six. Tampa Bay all of a sudden 7-7. Seven and seven. Boy, about a month ago, Todd Bowles was on the hot seat. The Bucks weren't doing anything, and they have caught fire as of late. And now they lead the NFC South. What a what a wild ride of a roller coaster in this last month. Like you were saying, a lot of Bucks fans were all about getting Todd Bowles out of here, maybe moving on from quarterback and Baker Mayfield too. And then you started to see some some life from this team where they actually put practically almost everything together. We'll hear from. Baker Mayfield tomorrow after practice. And I'm interested in asking him, does he feel like this offense put about everything they could together? Because a week prior, I asked him, uh, the media asked him about, you know, has this offense found his identity? And I, I think you got about as close as you could whenever you faced Green Bay and put on the performance that uh, Baker Mayfield did, making some history there in Lambeau Field. And then Rashad White has been clicking the last couple of weeks, really, and it's been really smooth there. And, you know, my Baker Mayfield, getting the ball to those players, getting it to Chris Godwin, which is something that has been a big-time topic throughout this whole entire season. Mike Evans utilizing him in the red zone. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it feels like the Bucks have found sort of their groove, 
but it's going to come down to playing with some consistency as they go in against the Jags this upcoming weekend. Can this defense play at the level? Is Devin White, what's going on with the drama there with your star uh, veteran linebacker? They're putting K.J. Britt in there quite a bit. They, they're relying on him now moving forward, it seems like. Uh, what kind of chatter is going on there? And, you know, the Buccaneers have, have a really strong chance of holding on to that divisional playoff spot and, and making things interesting come playoff time. Is Baker Mayfield the long-term guy there? Is he going to be the Bucks quarterback for the foreseeable future? If he has another – if he has <laughs> – yeah, it's 80% of a game like he did against Green Bay, absolutely. I think um, I wouldn't be shocked, though, if Jason Light, if they decide to, in that office, they decide to bring in a young quarterback to maybe develop if they've already moved on and, and had they've kind of learned what they've got with, with Kyle Trask, which it seems to be that way. Baker Mayfield's been dinged up quite a bit throughout the season, and you know they're still throwing Baker out there, although you know Baker, he's a guy that doesn't want to sit out or anything and it's also a big money year for him as well trying to earn this contract but as of right now I think the smart idea would be to keep Baker around and if you can bring in a young quarterback that can sit behind Baker uh, and give him a short-term uh, deal uh, but I think that's going to be on on the plate for them I think they've seen what he does for the locker room as well which is something that is much needed after last year's debacle I'd be in the locker room after games no one says anything you know, Brady was going through all of his drama with the divorce with Giselle. And, you know, this team wasn't fully bought in together. I don't think they liked playing with one another. And uh, bringing in Dave Canales from Seattle, offensive coordinator, and Baker Mayfield, too. Both of those energy, energy guys coming in together has really helped really spark this team, in my opinion. Logan Robinson of Bucks Game Day. Logan, final question. When the schedule came out, I'm thinking, all right, Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock kick. I mean, good grief, particularly when the Bucks were struggling a month ago. Now, all of a sudden, it's one of the biggest games in the NFL on Sunday. The Jaguars holding on to their division by a thread. Tampa Bay has very little room for error in their division. What's kind of the thought about the environment it'll be down there in Tampa on Christmas Eve, Sunday evening? Well, I've got my family coming down for it, and that's rare to say because it is Christmas Eve. But a lot of a lot of people are going to be in attendance for this one. I think for mainly just the opportunity to face uh, Jacksonville, your in-state team, not a rival or anything, but in-state team, and also get the get the chance to see if this Bucks team really did turn things around. And I think for also, you know, is, is this Bowls? You know, Bulls has got to get build this consistency of winning. You know, the inconsistencies has really struggled under his tenure uh, for the Buccaneers, where you see some big wins. You can see them go win some last year. You win some, uh, like I said, back in uh, up there in Green Bay. But there, a lot of fans want to see uh, consistency from this team. And there's talent. Yes, there's veterans, and then there's some young players that you know that they drafted that are really impressing, like Yaya. Yabi Kalaisa Kansi, who's been a really, really good stud in the trenches for the Buccaneers, has stood out. Um, and there's Ian McCollum, who's in his second year developing well as a corner. There's a lot of talent that Todd Bowles has brought in, and it, and it seems like he's developing well. But at the end of the day, you gotta, you gotta get wins. And you know, it, it's, it, <laughs> I think Bucks fans too looking at you know when they won that Super Bowl just a couple years ago. They've kind of set a standard that they're not used to having the Bucks organization, and that's just kind of how it is. And, and Bulls is in a tough spot, but 
I'm expecting for a fun and rowdy crowd for a four o'clock late afternoon kick in Raymond James Stadium. It's a big one. Eight and six Jacksonville, seven and seven Tampa, two division leaders, two teams that really, really need a win on Sunday. Logan Robinson of Knoll Game Day and Bucks Game Day. They're both powered by Sports Illustrated. Hey, Logan, appreciate it, man. Happy holidays. Have a happy new year, and we'll do it again soon, my friend. Thank you, Ryan. Happy holidays to you and all the listeners, and hope uh, you have a great rest of the holiday season. Back here on the High School Spotlight, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We are glad you are with us. The early signing period tomorrow as a lot of student-athletes from all over Northeast Florida will put pen to paper and sign their national letters of intent. There was also some news last week regarding the new high school football formats that are coming back in 2024. With all that being said, let me welcome in Justin Barney of Channel 4, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Justin, how we doing? Not too bad, Hack. Thanks for having me. Hey, Justin, always appreciate the time. Know you're busy this time of year. All right, I want to get to signing day tomorrow in a moment. Before we do that, I saw you very actively last week reporting everything going on with the FHSAA meetings it uh, looks like Metro and Suburban, after that two-year trial run, is no more. What were some of the big stories to come out last week? You know, I, I think uh, more confusion more than anything seems to be um, the norm nowadays with the FHSAA. Not really good at, at keeping people updated on what's at hand. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised that the board of directors called an emergency meeting to vote on another new playoff system. We've been hearing these playoff debates basically every year since about 2015. Uh, I think the first change was in 2017 when a new system came in. So constant change. And I do think the, uh, the new board of directors, um, a tough, tough, uh, task in the really first order of business. Remember, this is a board that was uh, largely put in place by Governor Ron DeSantis this summer. Um, so the uh, first order of business is deciding what to do in a new playoff system. And uh, Suburban Metro is out the window. That has been uh, a two-year, uh, I think, somewhat of a success story. I think closer games, better playoffs than in years past. But what was on the line um, was going away from Suburban Metro and the potential to add an open division, which would take the top eight teams in the States, according to Max Preps rankings, and put them in their separate playoff field. At the end, uh, that did not pass last week. That will be tabled for a later discussion. Um, what was passed, though, was the return to district play. District games are back, mandated district games, uh, and the classifications one through uh, 7A or 1 through 8A with the addition of rural will um, will come back. So I like to say out with the new, in with the old. Uh, I don't know how well that has been received. So I do think with a lot of confusion uh, on the part of board of directors, on the part of coaches around the state that, hey, we've not had a chance to weigh in on this. I can't believe we're talking about a new system. So I think Florida High School Athletic Association really needs to do a better job of, of keeping coaches, coaches associations informed of what's on the table for discussion and uh, not really surprise so many people with such big news after really not a lot of not a lot of informative uh, uh, letters and, and information going out to people. So I do think people are a little bit surprised. Uh, but again, no more suburban metro districts are back. And uh, that's about the only confirmation of what we have that uh, what playoffs will look like next year. Justin, it's only been a week, but what's been the early reaction you've gotten from coaches or people in the high school community about suburban and metro going away? 
disappointment, I think. Um, you know, I think a lot of suburban coaches were happy. Um, I know Metro coaches in, in all of this uh, did not like it because they felt that, you know, you're, you're taking Metro and almost punishing us for, uh, for living in the counties, which we do. Um, so I do think suburban was a little upset to see it go away. Uh, I can't tell you how many coaches texted me during that FHSA board meeting and, and just complaining about how um, in, uninformed a lot of the board members seemed, how uh, ridiculous that a lot of this was being heard for the first time. Um, and I do think that uh, coaches, by and large, felt uh, felt that the playoff system the last two years worked. I keep hearing the 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 kind of the the nagging thing is we don't know how this max prep point system works we don't know we'd like a little bit more transparency that was brought up multiple times you know it's not like georgia where the top four teams and regions make it to the playoffs you're you're left guessing you know and we saw that come this postseason where teams who thought they were in in week 11 uh, get to sunday morning and find out that they're they're squeezed out of the postseason so i do think that is a a little bit of a sticking point for some coaches they want more transparency i think some members of the board want more transparency the fhc although feels that the max preps ratings points even though no one knows the algorithm or how that's computed uh is the most fair way to uh, to determine those playoff spots so again another point of a uh, point of discussion for a later date justin barney of channel four justin quickly so districts are back metro suburban is gone we'll get classifications i assume in the coming weeks and, and certainly by a month or two from now you would expect i mean is it as simple as all right Mandarin was in 4M, 4 Metro. Bartram Trail was in 4S Suburban. Will they now be in the same district? More than likely, more than likely, unless there's any kind of, you know, multipliers for transfers or anything like that. There's so many moving parts, and I think, you know, in, in open enrollment, I, I heard one thing discussed is, hey, if you're having, if you have a ton of kids not at your uh, in your school zone that are here from out of area, open enrollment type situations or virtual school students, there should be some multiplier. You should be in a higher classification if that is the case. Um, you know, enrollment now is is uh, just tough to, for a lot of coaches, tough to look at and say, hey, we have 2,500 kids at our school. We should be in the in the next to highest classification, right? So, um, you know, with open enrollment, you can have kids playing out of your zone, more like a private school back in the day. So I think a lot of coaches feel that looking just at enrollment numbers alone is an outdated format in the era of virtual school students, in the era of open enrollment everywhere in the state. So I think a lot of coaches want multipliers in, in terms of you have 200 transfer students playing sports. There should be some kind of um, metric to bump you up in classification. You should be playing with a school that's uh, just strictly your numbers since you're drawing from a bigger pool of, of people. So I do think that, um, you know, I, there's there's still just so many great areas and not a lot of openness on this, not a lot of transparency. And I think there, um, I think with there, it's it's gone away from the private public split. Um, so much of an argument, which has been going on for decades and more of, hey, we want a truer form than just enrollment numbers to decide where we play. So a tough challenge for the FHA to kind of sort all that out. Yeah, and I know one of the big complaints I heard was all the rematches we saw in the playoffs. Like you look at Baker County, you had to play Uly and Baldwin in the regular season, and you knew you were going to probably see both of those teams again in the playoffs. Maybe some of that will go away now because of Metro and Suburban going away. Justin Barney of Channel 4. All right, a big day tomorrow, Justin. I know you've covered, uh, golly, probably 20 years or so worth of these days. The 
early signing period, a lot of excitement around our area. I guess the quarterbacks are the story tomorrow, right? We got a number of quarterbacks in Northeast Florida that will sign on the dotted line with college football programs tomorrow. Yeah, decent amount. And, and you look at guys like, uh, you know, Colin Hurley, obviously a Super 11, uh, Super 11 guy and Elite 11 guy going to LSU. He reclassed and, uh, and is going early. He's actually a true junior, but got done with high school early and he's graduating. Uh, James Reserve going to Iowa, of, of Bishop Kenny, Rodney Tisdale, Riley Trillo, um, those guys at, at schools going to programs. So good class of quarterbacks this year. Although I do think next year's quarterback class is, uh, is even better with Mel Jones and um, Lachlan Hewlett, guys like that going out. So um, an amazing class this year in terms of depth. But I think next year, um, the guys we have in this class are just through the roof. I mean, you're talking Solomon Thomas of Reigns, a five-star guy. Uh, Drake Stubbs of Mandarin, a five-star safety. Jamie French, a five-star receiver. Carl Jenkins Jr. of St. Augustine rising up the boards. Um, just so many big guys in that next year's class. Um, you you hate to look ahead so far uh, because we have so many good guys signing tomorrow but man the 2025 class is absolutely loaded yeah 2025 will be a big year no question about it one thing that has kind of changed as the years have gone by Justin not a lot of suspense tomorrow right I mean to your knowledge is anybody making a commitment tomorrow locally that's not already known no, it's it's pretty uh pretty cut and dry. I mean, nowadays with with guys, you're 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 asked to lock in and commit early. And, and schools on uh, December twentieth know exactly who they're getting. Maybe some surprises, you know, with, with some guys squeezed out or uh, looking at other schools. But I don't see any any flip from any guys uh, in terms of big name guys in our area. Garrison Butler going to Cincy, uh, Trent Carter, Louisville, those kind of guys. Reeser. Iowa, Derek Plaz from Manor going to Miami. Those are those are the big guys. Jake Granera going to Michigan. So I don't see anything uh, involving those types of you know the top uh, 500 athletes moving on anywhere else. When you talk to these athletes, you talk to these high school coaches. This is now what year four or five? I guess we're getting up there for the December signing period. Do they like it or do they wish it would go back to the one day in February? I think it's I think it's a little bit of both. You know, for the early enrollee guys, you're getting. In the system and, and in the past, you know, that was that was kind of a, a, a negative because a lot of times, you know, your guys who are graduating and, and enrolling early don't get to take part in signing day with their teammates and in front of their schools. You know, you're signing at the, the kitchen table on, uh, um, you know, over holiday break and, and going into school. So I think it's good for for those early enrollee kids to get a chance to experience it with their friends and teammates and coaches and staff there. And um, I think it's good because you're not dragging out the process another two months and, you know, chance for coaches to, to drop your chance for uh, more stress in recruiting. I think you talk a lot of these kids, they're glad the recruiting process is over and, and ends when it does probably could end even a month before now. And uh, you wouldn't have any complaints from guys. Final moments with Justin Barney of channel four, Justin, you've talked to all these kids. You've seen all these kids play for three and four years at their respective schools. I mean, your opinion, who tomorrow that signs could potentially make the biggest impact in college football. 
oh man, I mean, there's guys that that you see, you know, Jake Grenier going to Michigan, the Pontevedra interior offensive line guy, a Camden Hardy uh, going to Wake Forest, you know, Riley Trillo of Bartram going to Wake Forest. He was banged up uh, this year a little bit, but uh, excuse me, Riley going to UCF. Um, you know, so you've got guys in this class that are going to make an impact. And of course, guys who are going to end up in the portal next year. But I look at, at an offensive lineman like uh, Jake Grenier going to Michigan, a great school, um, and, and just a guy like that who I think is, is definitely going to shine. I think I get Harrison Butler going to Cincy, a big defensive lineman from Bowles. Um, and then you've got this amazing defensive backs at Mandarin going to Penn State, A.J. Belgrave Shorter uh, being uh, one of those guys. And uh, Derek Plaz going to Miami. Um, so I do think those corners and offensive linemen guys are the big names. All right, Justin, leave us with this. Jaguars have lost three in a row. All of a sudden, this game in Tampa is enormous. And now we don't know the status of Trevor Lawrence moving forward they're hanging on to the division in a playoff spot by a thread right now I mean what is your thought on the Jaguars as it currently stands yeah it feels almost like Tennessee last year and and how things fell apart there Doug Peterson to me looked as uh, as beaten or as down as he has in a while um the other night in the lot in the the, uh, the press conference area after that game, I don't know if it was just that he gotten the, the bad news about Trevor or if it was just the, the, the kind of throwing your hands up in the air and saying, "What else can we do to make these guys stop doing?" these mistakes that they're making um he he looked really just beaten down so um a huge game but i still think jacksonville finishes perhaps two and one and uh and wins the afc south and and uh, you know remember the last time they won a um an afc south championship uh before last season they backed into the playoffs with uh, with two losses back in 2017 and then made the afc championship game so uh you're hoping jacksonville can hang on for that but certainly not a lot of confidence with how they played lately and that uh, i mean that's stadium emptied out quickly in that third quarter going into the fourth quarter on Sunday night no there's no doubt about that and quickly were you surprised that Carson Beck announced that he was coming back to Georgia for next year no not at all I think with with Carson you get another year in the system you bolster your draft stock and I I don't know how where he would have been in terms of uh maybe a day late day two early day three pick so you get a chance to come back and perhaps win a national championship and an expanded playoff win another uh win an SEC championship which you didn't get a chance to do this year and really bolster your draft stock not surprised at all I think he needed another year in the system Justin Barney of Channel 4 Justin happy holidays my friend happy new year and we'll talk again soon thanks Zach. thanks for having me and thank you to justin barney of channel four for joining us tonight here on the high school spotlight on 1010xl and 92.5 fm and again congratulations to all the student athletes in northeast florida that will sign national letters of intent tomorrow during the december early signing period my big takeaway from the night here on Hacker After Dark, you know, you look at Florida tomorrow, you look at Florida State getting back to practice, Georgia as well, Miami, a lot of news going on. Georgia just finds out they get Carson Beck back for next year. That's enormous for them. Miami is flipping a lot of guys. Cristobal doing very well heading into early signing period tomorrow. Florida State back on the practice field getting ready for the Orange Bowl but a lot of guys will not be participating, including guys like Johnny Wilson, who have opted out. What will Florida State actually look like when they take the field on December 30th in Miami? And as far as Florida, can they hold on to this recruiting class? They're going to lose a couple of guys tomorrow, it appears. 
but assuming they get signatures from DJ Lagway and LJ McRae from Daytona Beach Mainland, uh, those are the two big ones. If they certainly hold on to those two, uh, that'll be a good, good start for Billy Napier, two five-star prospects. They are going to lose some guys. They have lost some guys. This class is not what it once was, say, a month or two ago, but they can still salvage it tomorrow in what is a very big day for Billy Napier and the University of Florida. Well, that'll just about do it. Our late-night show on a Tuesday. We certainly appreciate you guys staying up late with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Justin Barney of Channel 4 for stopping by. Thank you to Logan Robinson of Knoll Game Day and Bucks Game Day for talking Florida State and Tampa Bay Buccaneers with us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to Josh Buckhalter of Heavy.com covering the NBA and the National Football League. Always appreciate having Josh on to give his perspective on the Jaguars, on the Orlando Magic, and more. And back in hour number one, my buddy David Waters of the Gators Breakdown podcast as we took a look at the transfer portal and how things are going right now for the University of Florida. We will be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for staying up late with us and spending your Tuesday night with us here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday evening, and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.